Oh, well, we're, we're going through a series called The Story. And um, if you haven't been with us um, for the past 15 weeks or so, um, you probably don't know much about this. Um, the Story is a book that has put the Bible in chronological order. Um, and it is an amazing thing for us. A lot of us got together about 30 weeks ago, something like that, and said the Bible's hard to read. It's hard to understand. And let's just flat be honest about this thing. I, I don't get it. And so I pick up the Bible sometimes and I read a little bit and it feels disconnected and I don't understand it so I put it back down and it just gets a big layer of dust on it. And one of the things that we try to do around here at the church is just to be real honest with each other and just to, to get our frustrations and our problems out. And that's something that we all shared. So we started going through this series called The Story. And if you're interested in it, you don't have a book. Um, what we, it, it's just a book that takes you through um, the Bible in chronological order, reads like a novel. Um, please come see me if you don't have a copy of the, of the story. Um, we've, we've been, it, they're about five to eight bucks depending on when we get them. Um, it's a great deal for a hardback book. Um, if you have a copy, some of you have already done this, if you have a copy, you've already read through it, um, maybe you've gotten way ahead of me and you're already through it, um, and you want to donate that to somebody, we are, there are people who are wanting those. But if you want a book and you don't have the money to pay for it, don't let that be a hindrance to you. Come see me. I would love to put this in your hands. It's really given some incredible perspective. And truthfully, I've talked to a lot of you. I, I, I talked to you on Facebook and email. Um, and uh, I, honestly, Facebook has been so frustrating in the last couple years to me, especially last year, just all the junk that's out there. I've almost canceled my, my account a couple times. But the reason I haven't is because of you all, <laughs> um, because there are some great conversations that we're having um, on Facebook. So um, can, let's continue those. I, I think that's the value of this book, and that's the value of, of, of Sunday mornings, is for us to be able to continue a conversation and ask hard questions, and we've done that. And this has just been, truthfully, if, I hope you've got something out of this series, um, but for me, this has been astounding. Um, I, uh, on our website, perigonnewlifecc.org, or .com, sorry, um, is uh, every sermon in this series. So if you've missed a sermon or if you, you're here for the first time and you, you kind of love the idea of this, you'll, you'll kind of go back and see them. But I've been getting, um, you wouldn't believe the people that are, are listening. We have about 280 uh, downloads a week or, or, or streams a week of my sermon. If you think about the 100 or so people, maybe 150 on a, on a big Sunday for us here, you add that um, to the 280 or a little less than 300 on the average of people who are listening to these sermons. God wants the story to get out. And, and here's the value of it. I said this a little bit last week, and I actually got a couple comments from you, some of you this week, um, and a little bit of arguments, which I love about this whole thing. And, and what some of you kind of had a hard time with was me saying this, that I think just learning about the Bible, just hearing these stories is actually dangerous for Christians. If all you're doing, you come in here and all you do is hear these stories and you listen to the word and you listen to my preaching and you walk away, you're actually better off sleeping in. Because the truth is, and, and the Bible says this in two or three places, that it's actually really dangerous for you to know the truth and not apply it to your life. God holds you to a different level of accountability if you have heard the truth over and over and over again and, and uh, you haven't applied it to your life. This is like my son Reese who is... Uh, who's just, he's a joy, and sometimes I love him so much, I just want to, oh, he drives me nuts too, you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, Reese is hilarious, he's four years old, and he just says, he says the things that uh, all of us want to say, um, and he's just very honest with it. And 
what he'll do, what he's been doing recently, is if I, if I say something that I've said over and over, you know, as parents, we all do this, where we, where we have a phrase that we use or a discipline that we use or a, just a phrase that we say over and over and over and over to our kids. We get tired of it too, by the way, but our kids just, they, it goes one, in one ear and out the other. Reese has started doing this. He started taking his hand, and when, if I say something that I've always said, he starts going, And you know what he means by this? What he means by this is, Dad, I've heard it a thousand times, and it ain't going to change anything with my behavior. Here's the problem. If you come in here on a weekly basis, and you keep listening to my sermons, and you keep singing, here's what God says. This is, this is the way the Bible talks about your worship and you coming on Sunday mornings. If you don't apply what you hear, if when you walk into this building, you sing the same songs that you've been singing for 10 years, and we sing a lot of the same songs around here over and over again. If you come in, you sing those songs, and it just kind of is one more thing you do. Here's what God's doing. Don't mean nothing. In fact, the Bible says it's actually dangerous for you to, to sing these songs, for you to come in and listen to the Word and not make a change in your life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Um, as we go through chapter 13 of, of the story, we're going to hear about a man named King Solomon. Um, and uh, you may have heard a little bit about this guy before. Incredible story about this guy. But what I would love for you to do is if you've got, you know, there's pencils and pens in the, the pews there. Maybe you've got the bulletin. Maybe you've got your Bible. Some people have a notebook down here. I love that. Um, and uh, Mick's not here today. She's usually sitting down front with a notebook. But um, whatever you've got, as you feel something that applies to your life, as you, as you hear something in the story, as you hear something in this sermon today that you think you can take home and immediately implement into your life, would you write it down um, and take it home with you? I believe it gets us to that next step to where God wants us to be. This story is about a man named Solomon. And as we've been going through the story, um, it's just an amazing to be able to see it happen sort of like a novel. And what we've seen is that God... Um, starts the earth, he starts the world, and it's, it, it immediately is good. Everything is good. And then there's this move towards sin. And we had a, a, a lot of conversation about what caused that and whose fault it was and why it happened. But it, it was a move towards not, things being broken, and things were broken. And it got worse and worse and worse, and God sent a flood, killed everybody. <laughs> killed everybody on the earth. Start over. Um, which every now and then I feel like he's going to do it any minute, you know. Um, but he's promised he won't do that with a flood. He sent a rainbow, and that promise was I'll never, never flood the earth like this again. He saved some animals. He saved some people. He saved a little group of people and a man named Noah who started a new group of people. And immediately Noah comes out of the ark, and he gets drunk, and he is messed up, and he's already started on a, on a bad path. So we see in the story immediately that God has created things to be good, and people just keep gravitating, gravitating towards screwing things up. They just do. So if you in your life today, you're, you're going, man, I, I'm reading the Bible, and I see all these messed up people, um, and I see all these messes. I, I want you to know that, that the story here is very much the same story we got going on now. It happened a long time ago. But the story is that God is moving in people. He wants to see things move towards good, and people keep sliding back. So God raises up a whole group of people um, that we refer to as the Israelites. They later become known as the Jews. God raises them up, and he says, you're going to represent me to the world. You're going to prove to the world that I am big, that I am strong, and that I care deeply 
about even those who seem to be far from me. And these people aren't good. (laughs) He didn't choose them because they were good or because they were smart or because they were pretty. In fact, they were pretty normal and sometimes really dumb and often really bad. And God chooses them not, not not in spite of their badness, but because of their badness. God chooses them to prove to the world that I am not most interested in you just behaving as people. Now, if you're here today and you're visiting and maybe you've, you've seen religion, um, you've got to know that one thing that we are not about here at New Life is religion. We, we actually despise religion. I, I hate religion. Because what I believe religion is, is this, it's this fake thing that sets up that says, I'm going to live this way, I'm going to behave this way, and then when, when, when the rubber meets the road, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to act like I love God, I'm going to act like, I'm going to do some things, I'm going to say some things that are cheesy, churchy, religious, and then I'm going to live however I want to. The Bible just detests that. God detests that kind of life. So God continues to raise up this group of people. And when he does, he tells story after story after story. It's one of the things that really increases my faith in the Bible is that these these stories in the Bible aren't good people. They're not smart people. They're not Disney stories where everything ends happy. You know, I I watch these these Disney stories and these movies that my kids watch, and and I can predict them. I'm to the point now where I've never seen them before, but I know what's going to happen. It's going to start, and it's going to be a beautiful little girl who is downtrodden, and then somebody kind of comes in and saves her, and then a bad thing happens, and then it all ends up happily ever after. What I love about the Bible is that it's real life. It's not always happily ever after. It's messy. It's gross. It's weird. And it increases my faith that this is real stuff. And God continues to raise up this group of people, and he continues to plop people in the lives of the Israelites to help them lead, to help them move. Israelites want a king, and God says, I don't want you to have a king like the rest of the world has a king. Because the rest of the world at this point in history has kings that, that, that they trust in. That, and in fact, they even think they're gods in a lot of different cultures. And God says, I want to be your king. So you're not going to have a king. And the people kind of raise up, and they finally say, God... We want to live the way you want us to live, but we need a king. We want other nations to see us as a real nation. And so God ends up giving them a king. And and he he was an amazing king for a while. And we see one king after another that God raises up. And God says, as long as you lead people to me, I'll bless the land and I'll bless the people. And so these kings start out good and they end up making some bad choices. And we saw last week a man named David who had a son named Solomon. David, kind of the end of our last week and kind of the end of that chapter, David dies. um, And it's a kind of a heartwarming story. David's wife Bathsheba, um, who is a whole other story, um, sees David when he's on his deathbed. The Bible says that that no matter how many blankets they put on him, he he couldn't get warm. You know that feeling. I think he had something worse than the flu, um, but he had a high fever. He was not well. Bathsheba comes to his side and says, David, now's the time to announce our son Solomon as the king. And so there's this emotional moment where Solomon becomes king. This man Solomon, all of a sudden, young, very young, very immature, finds himself in charge of an entire group of people. He finds himself in a place that I think you and I find ourselves in. I know that I do on a regular basis. In over my head, you know that phrase? I remember the first time I felt that way. It was my uh, marriage um, to Risha. 
when we got married, um, it, everything's so crazy up to the wedding day that you don't think about the marriage. Have you had that? If you're, those of you who are married, you think about the wedding, but you don't think about the marriage. And so the whole time, you know, we went through marriage counseling, and it was still just kind of pie in the sky. A few months leading up to the wedding, it was all about that day. And after the wedding, I remember we were in the limo on the way to the hotel, and it hit me. I'm a husband. And I'll tell you why I fell over my head, because that was my second marriage. And I'd screwed up the first one really bad. Not all of it was my fault, but part of it was. And now I'm with this woman who I don't deserve, absolutely don't deserve. And I remember being in the limo and thinking, I am over my head. How am I going to live this? What am I going to do different now to make this right? Remember the second time I really felt that was when my daughter was born. They put London in my hands. And here I am, this weird guy who just makes a lot of jokes. I'm not very mature. I spent my money in bad ways. I just didn't do well anyway in my life. I just bought it. I bought this house, 5,000 square foot house. It was just Risha and I. I bought this old 5,000 square foot house that I was going to restore. I squeaked into it financially, barely got into it. Now there's no way they would let me have this house. Would never be able to finance it. But at that point, I, I was right in the middle of buying something that was way too expensive. We bought it. We got into it. We were going to fix it up. We realized we don't have $10 in our bank account to go buy a half a gallon of paint to paint the walls. So we lived in this huge house, and that's kind of the way it works for us. We, built it, we lived in a 5,000-square-foot house until we had kids, and then we moved into a tiny one, and that's what we did. We had London, and they put this little baby in my arms, and immediately I realized what a stinking idiot I was. I realized about the financial decisions I'd made. I looked in her eyes, in this little baby's eyes, and I thought about college. And I thought about how far I was from helping her to get to college. I thought about how far I was from buying formula because of the big screen TV I'd bought two weeks earlier. And I realized what an idiot I'd been, and I felt over my head. Now, I don't know where you are in your life. Some of you may be in those places. Some of you are pregnant. Some of you um, have those opportunities. Some of you may have job loss. Some of you may be in these... It's these situations where you just fill over your head. This is what happened to Solomon. He was completely in over his head. He went to God in a dream. Check out this next slide. And basically, God blesses Solomon. He comes to to Solomon, and he basically says, Solomon, I would like to help you. Man, wouldn't that be great if God actually used those words? I'd like to help you. And it's almost like if you've seen um, Aladdin, the movie, or one of the movies with the genie in it, it's almost like Solomon... You get one wish. What would, you, what would you have? Now, at this point, Solomon is going to be the king. He's going to have all these things. And, and in my life, if, if God would have said that to me when I was holding my baby in my hands, if he'd have said, John, you can have anything you want. I will help you with that baby. What do you want? You know what I'd have said at the time? I'll just be real honest. I'd have said, give me a full bank account, a really heavy 401K. <laughs> give me money, God. If I just had a lot of money... I could take care of this baby because that's all I need, right? I know that's what I would have done. I know that's what I would have asked for. And you see this in in, in Solomon. He's young, and God says, Solomon, tell me what you want. I'll help you with this. And Solomon asks for something that if you're sitting here today, this should be the first thing you write down. Solomon asks for something that changes the scope of his life, changes the rest of his life. Here's what happens. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7. After God said, Solomon... What, what, would you, what do you want from me? You can have, it's almost like one wish. He didn't say, I, I wish for 10,000 wishes, you know. 
like I would have done. Solomon said, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Therefore, give to your servant a big screen TV, a limo, and all the money I can handle. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, at this point, you need to know judging is not looking at somebody and going, you're good, you're bad, you're good, you're bad. The idea of judgment was to lead them. It was to discern what's good and what's bad. It was to to lead them in a good direction instead of a bad direction. Solomon says, God, what I want most is the ability to be able to see what's right and take the next step. That's the prayer that I should have prayed the day I had London in my hands. It's God, nothing else matters. The money doesn't matter. Even the health of this baby, which was the, the second thing that came to my mind. She's been the healthiest little baby I could have ever imagined. But truthfully, even more importantly than her health was the next right thing. God, can you lead me to the next right thing? Some of you right now are in the middle of job changes. You're in the middle of these huge life things. Right now, what we often pray for is a great job. God, give me a great job with a big severance pack or a big, uh, a big insurance package. That's what I really want. Truthfully, what we should be praying to God is, God, give me the wisdom, give me the insight, give me the perspective to see what's the next right choice. Later, God says, First uh, King says, God was pleased with this request. God said, Solomon, great wisdom and understanding and knowledge, too vast to be measured. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. There's this thing that happens to Solomon as a young man that is miraculous. In fact, if you read uh, stuff outside of the Bible, if you read historical documents outside the Bible, there are people who wrote about King Solomon, not from a religious perspective or not from a God perspective or not from a biblical perspective, but from a historical perspective to say this is the smartest, wisest, most incredible man that's ever lived. People, kings and queens from all nations would come to him to ask him questions about science, about philosophy about life, they would ask him, I'm I'm in this tough position in my life, which way should I go? And because his one wish was wisdom, he led millions of people towards the next right thing. In fact, if you've heard, if you think the Bible is is, uh, boring, you should check this out, this next slide, Tanya. Um, He has this weird test that happens. This is an incredible story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Basically what happens is it starts really gruesome. Um, Two women who had babies um, at about the same time. The babies were about the same age. Um, they, were, they were just newborn infants, both babies. And the two women went to sleep at night. One of the women rolled over and suffocated her baby um, in the middle of the night. When she got up in the middle of the night and realized she had suffocated her baby, she took this dead baby and slowly took it over and switched the babies with the live baby. This is an awful story. She, she took in the middle of the night, she took her dead child and switched it with the live child. And when the other mother woke up in the morning, she looked at her baby and she thought she'd rolled over and killed her own baby. And as she was mourning this baby, she looked, she kind of took it outside and she looked at it in the light and she realized, this is not my baby. Now when I go to the, 
the hospital to visit someone who's just had a baby, I look in the nursery, and they all look the same to me. <laughs> I mean, it's like pretty much if, if they're the same nationality, they're the same race, it's like any, meeny, miny, mo. I don't know whose is whose. I could tell you when mine was born, I could pick her out of a crowd. When Reese was born, I knew exactly which one it is. This mother knew, she knew that this was not her baby. So we have two, uh, two people, two women now, who both claim the same child. And they go before King Solomon. Can you imagine being the king at this point? These two women say, we both believe that this is our baby. And they tell this long story. And King Solomon has to decide, who does the baby go to? What would you do? If, you're, if you were the one making the decision, here's the thing about the king at this point in history. Whatever he says, goes. He can just say, I like the way you look. You get the baby. He can go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He can say, rock, paper, scissors right now for the baby. He could do anything he wanted to do to make this work. What would you do? Here's what he does. It's an amazing thing. He gets these two women together, and he spends some time with them. He looks at them closely, and then he says, so you got the two women. I want you to picture this. This is not a Disney story. This is a real-life historical event. Two women, one baby, a horrific story. One of the women is leaving with this baby. Chapter uh, 3, verse 24 of Kings. Then King Solomon said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to one of the mothers and half to the other. (laughs) What? We're going to take this living baby, we're going to cut it in half, and you both leave with half. Problem solved, right? See, what, what King Solomon did was he looked at the problem and he got something that you and I need desperately. He got perspective on what's most important. He didn't think about what was most urgent. He didn't think about what would make the most comfortable, what would make them the most comfortable, or would make him the most comfortable. You know, if, 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 if it were you and I, we might just go, eh, you. Now get out so I can forget about it. Let's just get comfortable. What he decides is the most important thing here is the love of a mother for her baby. And if you know this, the end of this story, you know how, um, how amazing it is. Here's what happens. Then the woman whose son was living, then the real mom, spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, yeah, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is the mother. And all of Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. What a crazy story. If you think the Bible is boring, go back and read through this stuff. This is a king who said, who threatened with a sword on a baby's head to kill this kid so that he could raise up true compassion out of a mom, an incredible wisdom. But he gives some, some things for the daily grind, some things for our life. And, and there's a book called uh, by Charles Swindoll called um, living the Proverbs, and then if you can see the small tile down there, it's basically wisdom for the daily grind. If you're a person who, who gets like I am, like maybe you deal with depression a little bit, maybe you struggle with that feeling where you get up, you go to work, 
You do your work, you come home, you pay your bills, you eat dinner, you go to bed, you watch the same thing. You can't remember if it's Monday or Wednesday because it all looks the same. If you feel like that, like you've got a daily grind, I want you to know that this is the first book in the Bible I would send you to, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was written by Solomon, um, and there's this feeling in Solomon, and as I, I read to prepare for the sermon today, Solomon was a man who was so full of wisdom and knowledge that he had to get it out. Um, in, in English language, we, we use the word catharsis. You may not be familiar with that word. The word catharsis is actually used to describe the, the feeling of urinating. When you have to go really, really bad, the catharsis is when you get it out. You're like, that feeling of, oh, I, that is Proverbs. Now, I bet you've never heard a preacher say that before. <laughs> that is what happened to Solomon. He had to get it out. It was like he was uncomfortable. He's crossing his legs. I've got I to gotta get this out of me. It's got to come out of me. So he wrote the book of Proverbs. Now, you'll never think of the book of Proverbs the same again. <clears throat> he wrote the book of Proverbs. It's just coming out of him. He has got to get this out. And in the book of Proverbs, we get some of the most amazing pieces of advice in all of human history. This is a great book to read if you're in a place in your life where you just feel like you can't get perspective, where you're so uh, kind of caught up in the mundane, the daily life, the everyday, that you can't get perspective. Solomon gives us some great perspective. He says this, my son, and this is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will, look at this, they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Now those two words to us, that prosperity usually means money, doesn't it? That's not the word in the original language here. The word in the original language is, it'll bring you the things that your heart desires most. You've heard me say this before, that we all have a hole in our lives that we try to fill. Many of us try to fill it with the new F-150. Many of us try to fill it with a new big screen TV. Many of us try to fill it with a new relationship or sex or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. But what Solomon says is, if you ask God for wisdom, if you continue to push through into what God wants for your life, then you will find the peace that you're looking for in your life. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet on your heart. Then you will find, then you will win favor and good name in the sight of God and man. There's actually a thought here. Parents, you're going to kill me for saying this. But there's actually a, a sort of an insinuation in the original language here. When he says, bind them around your neck, there's an insinuation of a tattoo in this comment. There's, a, there's a, an insinuation of a tattoo. Now, I, I want you to know, I know there's some of you who believe that, that tattoos are an abomination to God. I'm not going to get into that right now. But I can tell you in this culture, in this culture, anything that was life-changing, life-altering to you, you may end up putting on your arm, you may put it on your, on your leg, you may put it around your neck. Now, when we, when we talk about hanging things around our neck, we think about jewelry and a necklace. But they actually, there are different places in culture where they would, they would actually tattoo around their neck things that they, could re, that they wanted to remember and things that were most important to them. This is one of those things. There are people that, that they have seen that have died, um, and there's all kinds of uh, historical documentation for people who have died with Solomon's words somehow written on their body or somehow in their life in this way. It was, that's what he meant. Internalize this so greatly, so deeply. It's an amazing thing. 
He speaks to the daily grind in a way that is unbelievable. And he allows us to get it right. The next slide. 1 Kings 3, 7. Oh, actually, skip one more down there, Tanya. What I'd like to do is go through three things that Solomon says today. And, and I've got to tell you, one of the things that I'm really trying to do with this is trying to push you to read more of the Bible yourself. If you find these interesting today, if you find these sort of enlightening, if you go, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible, I would love for you to go back to the book of Proverbs or go get that Charles Swindoll book. I can give you that name again if you want to catch me after church. I would love for you to go dig into this yourself because here's what I've done. My Bible in Proverbs looks like it's crazy. It's hard to read because at different times in my life, I've highlighted things and circled things and written things in the margins because depending on the time of your life, these things can change your perspective on your life. And he gives three pieces of advice about three different parts of our life today that I want to cover. But I want you to know just about every decision, everything in our life, Solomon speaks to in one way or the other. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I wanted to start with that because just in case you're falling asleep on me today, basically what Solomon says is in my knowledge and in my understanding, if you don't care about this stuff, you're an idiot. And that woke some of you up, made you mad. You're going to meet me in the parking lot afterwards, aren't you? Sorry, right, I got a couple guys in here. RJ will take care of me. That's basically what he says. If you're here today and you are, your life is in turmoil, if you're here today and you've got one of those situations in your life, he's writing to, to people and he's saying, if you've got those situations in your life where you're trying to make a decision or where you're trying to do the best or you're trying to provide peace and joy for your family or for your kids or you're in that battle with your kids where you just want to kill them some days, you know, and you're in those situations, you would be an idiot if you didn't listen to the creator of the universe, the person who created you, who can see what's next. You'd be crazy not to listen to it. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says this, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. I'm going to read that again, verse 3 of Proverbs 16. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. If you're here and you've, you've been here for a while and you've been going through something, you've probably come to me at one point or the other and said, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. That's a phrase that we come up with, we use a lot as Christians. We want to know what God's will is for our life. And the truth is, what God's will usually is for your life is more about who you are and more about who you're becoming than it is about what you're doing. The truth is what we would love in our life is if we could say, hey, God, would you just tell me where I'm going to work, where, who I'm going to marry, what car I'm going to buy, how much, what house I'm going to buy. If you would just tell me which one of those things are or show me, or somehow if I were to drive through a neighborhood while I'm looking for a house, if it would just kind of glow when I go by the house, there's our house. That's God's will. The truth is that's not the way God talks about his will. People have asked me before, do you believe there's only one woman for every man and every woman? No, I don't. I don't believe God works that way. I don't believe he, he, he intends for us to be a, a pull string doll where you pull the string and it go, walks wherever God wants it to go. That's not God. That's not the picture. What he says is this, that I care so much more about who you are than what you're doing. That Here's the thing, there's a whole lot of jobs that are in my sphere of will for you. There are a whole lot of opportunity, spouses, relationships, 
that are in my sphere of will for you. There are a lot of opportunities for you, and you are free to choose. It's free will. You're free to choose those. But what I'm most concerned with is who you are. Here's the truth about it. If you're trying to make a big decision in your life, you're making a huge mistake if you are first concerned with what you're doing and second concerned with who you are. So what I've been saying to people, and people don't like it, in fact, I haven't had anybody ask me for a while. Maybe this is why. They'll come to me and say, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm thinking about this new job. i got five different jobs, great opportunities. Which one should I take? Which one do you think? And I'll go, you know what? I think you need to, you need to go find out what God, who God wants you to be. And as you find out who God wants you to be, you go, you know what? Two of those jobs really don't lead me to who, I, who God wants me to be, but I'll just take one of these. <laughs> and, and I believe that what God is saying here is that if you commit to the Lord, if you say, God, I'm going to choose this. I, I know it's in your, sphere, in, in your sphere. It's in your will. I'm going to commit it to you. Solomon says, he will establish your plans. So your advice about life from Solomon is to take a step back. Be more concerned with who you are than what you're doing and let God establish your plans. Secondly, he says this, a piece of advice. Um, next slide there, Tanya. Um, this is about money. Now, if you're visiting with us, you go, ah, here it is. The preacher's going to talk about money. You know why I'm going to talk about money today? Because it's right smack dab in the middle of your life. It is exactly what you're dealing with today. If you've got a lot of money, then it's changing who you are. It's affecting who you are. I promise it is. If you don't have a lot of money and you're pursuing money, it's changing who you are. Your pursuit of money is changing who you are. Some of you are in really big Life turmoils right now because of money. You lost a job. You quit a job. You're starting a new job. You just opened a 401k. You're talking about retirement. This is right in the middle of who we are. And we would, be, we would just be stupid if we didn't talk about it from God's perspective. And here's what, here's what Solomon says about money. I'm going to be real honest with you today about this. I used to be really uncomfortable as a preacher to talk about money because I hate that thing with preachers and money. And I'm also awful with money. I'm getting better. Um, so it always, I always avoided it. But I want to tell you today that this is one of the centers of who we are. Solomon says this, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Or I would put in there in parentheses, or your poverty. <laughs> with the first fruits of all of your crops. And I want to tell you what that means to the people who are reading this. The first fruits are the best parts of the harvest. The first things you get from the harvest. And what we call it at church is a tithe. Um, and the, the tithe is 10% of what we get. And so what, we're, what, what we believe God wants from us is the first 10% of our resources. Now I'm telling you that today not because I believe that if you don't give your money to the church, then we'll have to close our doors. I know better than that because we've almost had to close our doors a few times and God steps in every time. That God's going to keep things moving. I'm telling you this today not for, uh, for the church's sake. I'm telling you this for your sake financially. And if you want a story about it, I can give you my own. Changed my life. When I began to give God the first 10%, the first crop. See, what happened at this point in history is people, God said, I, I, I'm going to provide for you, but I need you to acknowledge, I want you to acknowledge that I'm your provider, that your employer does not provide for you. I could take your job away like that. I could take your employer's bank account away like that. I could mess it up. What I want you to do is to acknowledge that I'm taking care of you. And when you go home, 
I'm just going to be real practical about this. When you go home on Friday of payday, and the first check you write out of your new paycheck is to say, God, my first fruits, the best part, the first, not what's left over, not I'm going to pay all my bills and if I got a little bit left over, but God, the very first chunk goes to you. There is this thing that happens throughout the Bible where God continues to give you this peace that passes all understanding. Now, is there still a struggle financially? Sometimes. But in the long run, we're about six years into it now, Risha and I, into committing to this. And i got to tell you, we get to a point where we get to a Friday and we're like, well, there are six bills to pay. We probably should pay one, but we're going to write the God check first. We call it the God check. And I love the term God check because it's a check we're writing to God, but the other part is we're checking off. Yes, God is first. If you're struggling with financial today, if you're struggling with peace in your life, I'm going to tell you, this is the first thing that God says to do. And then look at verse 10. This is, what he, this is his promise to us. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, this promise is not that all of a sudden your bank account's going to boom. What, this mean, what comes with your barns being full is peace. It's perspective. It's this feeling that God's going to take care of me. He took care of me today. He's going to take care of me tomorrow. When, when you do life the way God intends, when you do money the way God intends, it changes who you are. I wish I had time to tell you today how it's changed my family, how it's changed me as a dad, as a husband. I was so stressed with money that I, I said things to my kids. I took it out on my wife. I was not the person I wanted to be. And when I can give that to God and go, God, I did my part, now you do yours. And I'll trust you for it. It changes who you are. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. I love this. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. I love to watch the, the Grammys last week and go, yeah, Jay-Z's got a lot of money and he looks good in that suit, but God made him just like he made me. And he could take it away from him just like he can take it away from me. Next slide. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. This piece of scripture is highlighted in my Bible so many times that you can't read it. I had to actually go to another Bible to read through this because I've this is a problem for me. I'm a workaholic and I own my own company and I will work 80 hours a week and think that that's what God wants for me as a man is to work hard at the expense of my family, at the expense of everything else in my life. And the truth is Solomon is absolutely right that when we wear ourselves out to get rich, they're just gone. And we leave, we end up with kids and families and relationships that are broken because of our pursuit of something that just doesn't matter as much as we think it does. Another piece of advice he gives, the last one I want to talk about today, is about peace. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. At this point in history, you go to a Walmart, they wouldn't have a Walmart, but the equivalent of a Walmart, a big um, open place where they would have a market, and the people who would sell grain and food had these scales, and they would do, just like we do now, they would cheat in business, and they would weigh down their scales a little bit more. So you thought you were paying for a pound of grain, but you were really paying for two pounds or a pound and a half. 
And there is this sense from, from God that it, he, it is detestable for him. Those little white lies, those little things that you do in your life, there is something that comes with it that, that keeps you from sleeping. You know what I'm talking about. He says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. The word disgrace there in the original language means this pit in your stomach, this gross feeling, this lack of peace. But with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. You know what duplicity is? It's faking it. It's I'm one person here and I'm another person here. I want to let you know today, as we close out this study about Solomon, the way his life ended. Solomon had made these wonderful choices at the beginning of his kingship. He made these things where he went to God and he said, God, I'm an idiot and I need your help. And God said, here's some wisdom. And he became this incredible ruler who made these amazing decisions and people followed him. But he got distracted and he lost perspective. He had a hundred wives. He had a concubine. You know what a concubine is? It's a big room full of women that he could do what he pleased with. And God said over and over again, don't live that way. If you live that way, you will lose perspective on who you are. Solomon thought, no, I'm the wisest man in the world. I'm the smartest guy. I can handle it. I can deal with it. Finally, he lost so much perspective that he started worshiping other gods. This God who gave him this incredible gift that changed a whole nation, and he got to see it a miracle before, he began to worship other gods because he absolutely lost perspective on who he was. At the end of his life, you see this weird thing happen to him. He ends up building um, an incredible building that, that God's presence ends up dwelling in, and, and, um, and it becomes a, a national monument to God. And then slowly he loses perspective on his life because he forgets that God has to be first or everything else crumbles. The he loses perspective in chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord detests dishonest sales, he says. And in verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Solomon was saying one thing and living another, and the way he died was so sad. He gave up his kingdom, and the next king that took over destroyed the, the kingdom, made some terrible decisions, and it was just like he kind of puttered out. <laughs> He totally lost perspective. And if there's nothing else you hear from this sermon today, we're about to close today, I want you to know this, that what God wants to give you today is perspective on your life. What's most important, what's top priority, and that is if you put him up front, if you continue to say, like Solomon said, God, I'm a mess without you. Would you guide me? Would you lead me? My money is a mess. God, I'll do my money your way. I'll do my life your way. I'll do peace your way. I'll quit looking for relationships and alcohol and stuff. I'll quit pu putting stuff into my garage and hoping it'll make me happy. I'm going to put you up front. When you do that, it changes your perspective. Next slide. This is the promise that you and I have today. If you're in this place and you go, yeah, but this was a king. This dude was rich. He was famous. He was whatever. This is your promise today from God, okay? I'm almost done. Wake up. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, 
And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as if for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the acknowledgement of God. Look at this. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. You know what upright means? It's people who live with God first. He is a shield to those who walk For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. I want to give you an opportunity today to engage in God's promise for you in your life. The band's going to come up and play. If you're visiting with us, that's my subtle cue for the band to come up. The band's going to come up and play our our invitation song today. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you just to say, God, if I had one wish, if I had one thing, God, it, it wouldn't be for more money. It wouldn't be for more wishes, which I think would be the smart thing to do. Take six more wishes. It it wouldn't be for stuff. If I had one wish, it would be that, that God, you would guide me, that you would lead me, you would help me make the next right choice. I'm looking out, and I see these babies, faces of babies around here. And I I remember that feeling, and I have it myself too. I go to bed at night, and sometimes I get this panic feeling like, I love this thing so much. it's too important for me to do, just do whatever I think is best. If you've got that feeling today, this is the prayer for God. If I had one wish, God, I pray that you would lead me. Those of you who feel like you have your daily grind today, um, come and see me afterwards. I'd love to kind of show you some of the things that that are available to to kind of walk through the Proverbs. It's awesome. Um, If you're searching for peace today, I want you to know that this is where it's at. Not this building, not on Sunday mornings. But if you're looking for peace and you're feeling weird in your life, you're feeling like it's never going to come, I want you to know that the only true peace that lasts comes with God and doing things His way. Doing things the way He intends. And finally today, claim your promise. There's some promises that God has. and Many of you came to me, um, come to me on Sunday mornings and to be honest, it, it gets exhausting sometimes as a preacher. I love you so much. And you'll come to me and you'll say, would you pray for my son? you pray for my daughter? Would you pray? Somebody in my life has cancer or I just lost my job and I need a new job. Would you pray with me? And we pray together. And there's the sense that what I want to say to God is, God, give them a job. God, fix the cancer. God, a couple weeks ago, a dog was sick. And I love this person so much. I don't love dogs, but I love this person. And they were so upset. And I I found myself praying, God, fix the dog, you know, which is just a funny prayer to me. But in the long run, Here's what I know. This is as honest as you're going to get. Here's what I know, that God hasn't promised to fix the dog. He hasn't promised to heal the cancer. He hasn't. He hasn't promised that you'll be rich. He hasn't promised to fix the junk in our lives. He hasn't. And if you hear a preacher say that he has, turn the channel. It's wrong. It's, It's not true. In fact, Jesus came later and said, I promise there will be problems in life. You will have trouble. But the next part is what we claim as people who follow Jesus. And here it is. Here's the promise. That if you give your life, if you put God first on a consistent basis, if you do life the way he intends, he provides a peace that the Bible says is beyond understanding. It's a peace that no one can get from a new Chevy. It's the peace that doesn't come with a big screen TV. All that stuff goes away. 
This peace only comes from the creator of the universe. You don't have the promise that he'll fix your problems, but today, where you sit, you have the promise of peace. So those of you who I've prayed this with know exactly how this prayer goes. I get loud with God a little bit. And I've prayed back there in that corner, God, you haven't promised you you would fix cancer, but God, we claim the promise that you gave us today that you will bring peace in the midst of our junk. I'm telling you today, it's your promise. Solomon tells us how to live with that peace. I'm going to give you the opportunity to reclaim it. I'm going to be back there in that corner today. If you want to pray together, I'll help you pray that prayer today. I love you so much. I want to see you enjoy the peace that God promised passes all understanding. Would you stand with us and sing?